Welcome to the Man on Second podcast, part of the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frasaro, joined as always by Dave D'Agostino, our producer. And today we have a real treat. We are honored to have Lindsay Berra, the granddaughter of Yogi Berra, and we're going to talk about the upcoming movie documentary, It Ain't Over, and much, much more with Lindsay. And uh, it's a treat. Lindsay and I, we previously worked at MLB.com together. I've known Lindsay a long time. She's multi-talented. She's involved in a lot of things, including the Yogi Berra Museum, but we'll give a full bio on Lindsay in a second. First, I'm going to bring Dave in for some announcements. Hey, welcome, Dave. Oh, thanks so much. We're excited to have Lindsay. Um, Yogi's one of my favorite players of all time. People don't realize how big a winner he was, uh, both on and off the field. So we're excited to let our audience share in that. But to our audience itself, thank you to our 14,000 subscribers uh, as of this morning. Continue to do what you're doing. Download, listen, like, subscribe. Uh, It'll help us continue to bring you great content every week as our mission is to build a better baseball IQ globally. We just hit over 70 countries this past week, grassroots all the way up to Major League front offices. So continue to pass the word along, pass the podcast along. Follow us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast streaming app is. And continue to engage on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Every morning I get I get questions, over 600 questions this morning, Joe, in anticipation of our two podcasts today. So I do answer one online, and I, I, did, I actually answered an NCAA tournament question online this morning. Um, but uh, we talked before the show about that. But thank you to the audience. Continue to support us. And with that, I pass it back to you, Joe. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dave. And, uh, you know, like I said, Lindsay's a former colleague. and She's an amazing writer. Lindsay's a freelance journalist. She's based in New Jersey, the oldest uh, grandchild of Carmen and Yogi Berra. And she uh, serves as the executive producer of It Ain't Over, the upcoming documentary uh, chronicling uh, Yogi's fantastic life. Um she currently uh, creates contact for content for Mustard, uh, the pitching biomechanics uh, app developed by Tom House. Uh, she's contributed a number of major publications. Uh, she's uh, done a little bit of everything. She's an athlete. She used to play hockey. She's uh, into all sorts of crossfitting and, uh, and physical fitness and writing about it. And uh, Lindsay, we'll bring you right in. Welcome, Lindsay, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, um, you know, Lindsay, as we before we get into into the documentary, you know, I think we're we're on the same page that it's so important for the next generation to 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 know about what was before them, and baseball especially is a sport that connects, you know, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, fathers, daughters, grandfathers, daughters, and and so forth to to your past to your present. And I think the storytelling is is very vital. And and just kind of your thoughts on that and, and keeping the memories of the, the legends alive. I mean, I think it's super important. I mean, especially now, as I think the game is really starting to change. You know, there used to be that fame. There is that famous quote, baseball is the only thing since the paperclip that hasn't changed. And with all the rule changes and the, the way the game looks nowadays, I, I feel like it has changed a bit and it's becoming even more important to keep the stories of the older players a- alive and talk about, you know, the things that used to be and the guys who came before. Um, you know, I'm obviously a little bit biased because my grandfather is an older baseball player and I want people to remember him. 
Um, but there's so many guys who were such amazing players and I think would still be amazing players if they played today. And a lot of them have records that will literally never be broken. And I think it's important to, to remember those guys and teach the, the young kids about, about them. Yeah. And, you know, I've been, you know, thinking of having you on the show for, for a number of weeks now. I know the movie's coming out in, in May. And then when the when Joe Pepitone just passed and, yeah. um, I, you know, a, a Yankee legend as well. And and this little background, Lindsay, the first baseball game, big league game I ever went to was at the old Yankee Stadium. I was really young. I was probably about six or seven years old. And it was ball day. And I remember getting this baseball and it was like it was like warped. It wasn't even like truly round, you know, and it had a, a very crude just New York Yankees stamp on it. And I just cherished that ball. And I'm at this Yankee Stadium. I think one of the old, you know, pillars that used to be right there, the beams would block your view at the before they mm-hmm. renovated Yankee Stadium. And and Joe Pepitone hit a home run in that game. And it was such a thrill. But then the catch was the game got rained out. It didn't go five innings. So the home run never counted. But my eyes still saw it, and I still cherish that baseball. But, again, that is something that, you know, all parts of the seeds that, you know, that were planted in my upbringing that led me into into the sport and sports journalism. And, and obviously, you know, the name Pepitone was something you grew up hearing as well, right? It was. And, and it's funny, the thing that always jumps into my head is that Joe was on the bus when Phil Linz was playing the harmonica. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when when uh, Mickey told him to to play it louder and Grandpa stormed back there and Phil threw the harmonica up in the air and, and Grandpa allegedly swatted it and it hit Pepitone in the knee. And Pepitone was going, my knee, my knee. And obviously the, the harmonica incident became a big thing in, in Yankees history. But it was always something I, I would giggle about. I would ask him how his knee was when I saw him. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's I get I get really nostalgic and a little sad and, and think, thinking about all of my my grandpa's buddies who, who have passed and those those great Yankee teams. Um, and it makes me think a little bit more about my grandpa's kind of a thread. Like he met Babe Ruth and he was on a team with DiMaggio and Mantle and, and uh, you know, he coached the, the Gators and Gidries and Gossages and Joe Pepitone and then had a place with the, the core four in the 2000s and, you know, became friends with, with Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada. And he really just was this Yankee thread and, and all of these great Yankees, um, he had relationships with them and, and was kind of part of the story for, for literally decades and decades and decades. And it makes me a little sad to think about it, but they're happy memories too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Don Manningly as manager and, you know, when he was with the mm-hmm. Marlins and I believe before that with the Dodgers wore number eight, he did in honor of Yogi, you know, and uh, you know, that's just, you know, the reach that, that your grandfather had. And let, let's dive right now into it. Um, um, Lindsay, it ain't over is the project you're you're um been part of and and it just talk talk about because i'm looking forward to seeing it. i can't wait for it to to come out i hope eventually in florida we can see it but just kind of fill us in on on that i guess it's launching in new york and los angeles on may 12th and what should people expect so i'm really excited about this it's been a really long process we started uh working on the documentary in i think november of 18 and did our first first shoots in june of 2019 so this has been a long time coming um peter soboloff is the the main producer of the documentary and he's been a longtime supporter of the museum he played in our uh, golf outings and he went with his wife to see the mr rogers documentary and was surprised by how touched he was by the story 
And he called my uncle Dale and my uncle Tim and said, guys, like, how come there's no story like this about your dad? And Uncle Dale and Uncle Tim were like, hmm, I, I don't know. And Peter's a, a movie producer. And, and he said, well, would you mind if I looked into to doing one? And they were like, no, by all means. And when the ball got rolling and I you know, found out that we were going to be doing it and I met the director, Sean Mullen, um, I was like, you're going to have to interview this person and this person and this person. I had this big, long list of people that I wanted to interview. Um, most notably, I, I wanted Vin Scully first because obviously in 2018, yep. he was not a young man and I wanted to make sure we got him. And that was kind of how I got involved as executive producer because Hollywood folks who produce movies don't necessarily have the connections in the baseball world. And I started on as sort of like a facilitator, just really setting up the interviews um, and, and, you know, reaching out to everyone who I wanted to have included, wanted to get as many folks as I could who had played with grandpa. So Tony Kubek, Ralph Terry, Bobby Richardson, Hector Lopez, these guys were all priorities. Um, so I got involved that way. And then when we started doing the interviews and whatnot, I think we thought that Billy Crystal or Bob Costas or some famous person with voiceover experience would be the narrator of the documentary. But uh, Sean, the director, ended up really liking the way I told stories. And, you know, I, I get teary and emotional. And he, he I guess he found that, um, you know, endearing or charming in some way. And I ended up narrating the entire movie. So We'll see. I'm not John Facenda, so some people <laughs> might not like me very much. But, you know, I, I love my grandfather a lot, and I think that comes through, and I think it's a really nice story. Um, what's really cool about the documentary is that, yes, it's a baseball story, and the whole point of it for me is to make people remember just how good my grandfather was on the field because I do believe his outsized personality and the yogiisms served to kind of overshadow his achievements as a baseball player at the end of the day. But there's really something in the movie for everyone. Um, it's as he was a first generation Italian immigrant. Um, he was in the D-Day invasion. So, I mean, he's a veteran. There's a beautiful love story with my grandmother. Um, it goes into my uncle Dale's struggles in the eighties with drug addiction. So there's really something that everyone on the planet can relate to in this movie. So even if you're not a baseball fan, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. I, you know, Lindsay, just hearing you talk and it, it, obviously the passion of being, you know, a family, the bearer family and what, what Yogi means, not just family, but to, to society. I, you hit on something that I think is what Yogi Berra and the players of that generation really did is connected with their fan bases and they touched the hearts because like you said, you get teary talking about it. It brings basically tears to me because, you know, my parents are Italian immigrants who, who came over all four of my grandparents were born in Italy. They, they settled in New York, you know, Yogi Berra is a name. He, Yogi had retired by the time I was born, but Yogi Berra, Mickey Mantle, uh, Whitey Ford, these names I, I knew at the, my earliest years, it was like, yeah, you just knew that was Yogi Berra. You just, when you grew up, they were part of, these were sports figures, yes, but they were part of Americana at the time. And of course, Yogi being part of you who back then. So mm -hmm. I hear you, we, we kind of, in me talking as a 62 year old, knew Yogi as, we knew the baseball player, but we didn't see the baseball player. We saw the, the you who we saw the personality and, and all that. But I think that really connects 
is the passion uh, that these pl- uh, pl- uh, people, these players had with their their fan bases. And I also think that they were just so much more accessible. You know, my grandfather went out every morning and picked up his own papers and got his own coffee and he went to church and he went to the dry cleaner and he sat in restaurants and, and, and he went to, you know, my baseball games when I, after he had, um, uh, retired, he would sit in the stands and watch my ball games when my dad and my uncles were growing up. He obviously wasn't around for their baseball seasons, but he'd go to their hockey games and their basketball games in the, in the winter. He was just such a normal dad, grandfather, and, and didn't really think of himself as this famous person. So a lot of people really got to know him because he was out there in the community. And what you're saying about touching so many people, when my grandfather passed away, I got so many hundreds and hundreds of messages on every platform you could imagine um, of people wanting to tell me their Yogi Berra story. You know, maybe they met him in a parking garage or they met him at a game or at an event, or maybe they hadn't met him, but he had touched their lives in some way or in some way they'd been inspired by him. And I have to tell you, it's really incredible to hear people tell you um, you know, I loved your grandfather and they mean the word love in the same sense that I mean it when I say I loved my grandfather and that that is sincere and true. And to understand that he impacted people that way, you know, so many people in that way is, is really incredible and, and humbling and just amazing. It's amazing to think about. Isn't it amazing too, Lindsay, that it was just him? Yeah, there was no, right? I mean, there was, that was just him that they embraced. Because like you say, he he felt like he was everyone's grandfather, father. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. he had that that appeal. Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. And people, so many people saw him on TV and all that kind of stuff. But like I said, the documentary for me is really bringing us back to what a great uh, player he was. I keep telling this story last year. May, right before the film debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival, um, Yadier Molina got his 1000th RBI, right? Now, I love Yadier Molina. I did a cover story on Yadier Molina when I was working at ESPN Magazine. My grandfather loved to watch Yadier Molina. He watched a lot of Cardinals games and he thought Yadier was the best catcher in the game at the time. I love Yadier. So no shade to Yadier whatsoever. But uh, he got his 1000th RBI and I'm, you know, scrolling through Twitter. And that was where I saw that it had happened. And I clicked on the story. And when the story opened up, there's this composite image and it says, you know, Yachty joins elite company and it's um, Yadier and Pudge Rodriguez and Johnny Bench, who are all catchers who have 1000 RBIs. They're all amazing catchers. And I'm thinking to myself though, grandpa has 1,430 RBIs, the record by a catcher, which will likely never be broken. And he literally wasn't even in the picture. And that to me is crazy because people just don't remember him as this incredible catcher. They think of Pudge, they think of Bench, they think of Yachty. And my hope is that the documentary will literally put him back in the picture. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, you got one? Come on in. Yeah, I, when you when you talked about people reaching out, uh, that resonated a lot with me. My father being a former coach, I get random notes from people of mm-hmm. things that he did, said, uh, people that he touched that I didn't even know. Um, would you be willing to share one or two of those with our audience? I actually had one happened last night. Um, I was in the car with my boyfriend and a, a work colleague of his called and he picked up the phone and I was in the car so I could hear the, the conversation on the Bluetooth. 
And my boyfriend said, oh, you're in, in the car with my, my girlfriend, meet Lindsay Barra. This news. And he goes, oh, I forgot you, you date Yogi's granddaughter. Um, and uh, he's like, I have a story for you. And I mean, this is a 50 year old man we're talking about. And he said when he was about 10, his parents got him some sort of autograph book that actually listed famous people's addresses. Could you imagine? I can't even, I can't even imagine. But so he wrote letters to a whole bunch of these people that were in this book and it was sports figures and actors and actresses and whatever. And the one person who actually responded, he got an autograph picture with a little note, Hey, you know, so-and-so thanks for, for reaching out. And he signed the photo and sent it back to the kid. And he said, I just couldn't believe that anyone had actually answered me. And, you know, I was already a Yankee fan, but I kind of became a bigger Yankee fan and obviously a fan of your grandfather because he had answered my letter. And I said to him, well, you, it's a lovely story and I'm really glad he did that. But I have to tell you, there was not a single piece of mail for my grandfather that came through that front door that was not answered. He answered every single bit of mail, signed everything. He would only sign like, if you sent him a hundred cards, he wasn't going to do it. He would sign three for everyone and send them and send them back. He just felt like, um, you know, he was super grateful that people wanted to watch him and the Yankees play and that he should answer his mail. It was just, you know, the kind, it, it, but it did speak a lot to the kind of uh, a person that he was. Yeah, that, that's uh, beautiful to, to do. And that's, that's a great surprise story. I'm sure you get those organically all the time. And I've, I've got a baseball question for you. I know, I know Yogi from doing research on him and whatnot. He was a self-made catcher. Um, mm-hmm. and he worked his, his tail off to become a, a tremendous defensive catcher in major league baseball. He'll admit he started off slow, just like everybody would. But my question he is, he actually would Jackie say he stunk when he started off. He would say he stunk until he met he Bill stunk. Dickey. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, what, um, Jackie Robinson, outer safe. <laughs> I have to say out because I have to agree with, with grandpa. Grandpa insisted until the day he died that Jackie had been out. Um, It's, it's so funny. And it's actually become like a, a, it was a very sweet thing. You know, Jackie passed very young um, in the seventies and my family, my grandparents stayed really good friends with Rachel Robinson and, and uh, you know, the kids, Sharon. And anyway, uh, Rachel was at my grandfather's 90th birthday party and by this time, grandpa was in a wheelchair and the museum, it was at the museum. It was, it was very crowded and there were like, you know, 200 people standing up in the theater and grandpa's in his wheelchair. So he was kind of down a little, like a little bit of a lower level. And when Rachel walked in, she kind of like threaded her way through the crowd until she could see grandpa, like through everyone's legs. And she put her arms out and, you know, made the safe sign and oh, grandpa geez. put his fist up and made the out. And then she walked over and gave him a big hug and a kiss. And it was really sweet. So we've been insisting safe and out. And, you know, you know, I, and honestly, I say it doesn't really matter whether he was safe or out for Jackie Robinson. What matters is that he was in in the game and for the better. And, you know, that that I, I'm very happy about the, the Barra Robinson relationship. I, tr- I try to I try to be above it all. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Lindsay, uh, talk a little bit more about uh, about the documentary. It, it ain't over. Um, you know, how's it uh, been received early and early viewing viewings, and 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 talk about it, uh, the release, and so forth. Sure. So we had um, a, a great debut premiere at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival last June, and then we went to a few other festivals. We actually um, 
won Best of Festival in Nantucket. And I was I was a little nervous. I was like, why are we bringing our Yankee movie to an island of Red Sox fans? I was afraid they were going to like throw tomatoes at us on stage or something. Um, but we got we had a great review after that that actually said the documentary was met with the sound of grown men weeping because it makes people really nostalgic. Um uh, we had someone come up to the director after one of the showings in Tribeca and say, you know, watching this movie is going to make me want to be nicer to my wife because it really um, highlights the love story between Grammy and uh, Grandpa and Grammy Carmen. Um, that was not our intent, but hey, that's a happy side effect, right? Um, so crowds have really been liking it. We have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes so far, and I hope that that continues. Um, the movie will be released on May 12th, as you mentioned, in uh, New York and L.A. will be in 100 theaters in the tri-state area, which is awesome. And then each week after that, they will add a few more cities. I don't remember exactly, but I believe it's um, Washington, San Francisco, um, the second week, and I think Philly, Boston, Dallas the third week. I, I, I forget, but um, hopefully it'll be coming soon to cities near near everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exciting. And, you know, uh, again, you know, that 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 movie, it ain't over. Um, how did you feel you did with the, with the narration? How, you know, uh, <laughs> did you did you get a, like a voice coach or whatever? What did you do to prepare yourself? No, I just did my best. It was during COVID and it was it was really hard. We had done some interviews and then we had to shut down for 18 months. And, and it was during COVID that I had to do most of the voiceover stuff. So I did some of it on my laptop with like a podcast microphone. And I also went to a friend's house who had a um, he has a, a like a real sound studio and I did some of it there. Um so no, it's, I, I did not get a voice coach kind of what you're hearing now is what you get in the movie. Um, and like anyone else, I really do hate listening to myself and I've seen this movie, you know, 25 times now. Um, but even like this podcast, I'm going to hate listening to it back because no one likes listening to the sound of their own voice. No, at, least, at least I don't. I haven't met someone who does. No, you sound but, great. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's I, like I said, I think it's I'm not John Facenda. I'm not going to give you on the frozen tundra in Buffalo. You're not getting that from me. But you're you're getting a kid who who loves her grandfather and wants people to remember him and you're either going to like it or you're not. And I can't really influence that. So I'm trying not to think about it. Well, here's the million dollar question. And, and I, I know my answer to it. I, I kind of preset it as we intro the show today. How good was Yogi? I mean, I think he was the best catcher in the history of the game because I think being the best catcher is more than about just what you did as, you know, as, as, your own self with your, you know, RBIs and home runs and whatnot. It's more about what you did to your team. And grandpa just had this incredible ability to make pitchers better. Um, he was such a great hitter that he took a lot of pressure off of Mickey Mantle, whether it was hitting in the front or hitting in the back, because you couldn't not pitch to, to grandpa. Cause so he gave Mickey a lot of, a lot of protection. And I think, I, I think that he made those Yankee teams better. You know, people don't give him a lot of credit, but on teams with Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle, he led the team in RBIs seven years in a row. Um, and you know, they're not winning all those championships without grandpa driving in runs and hitting, hitting, uh, home runs and in, in the late innings. Um, you know, he always used to just talk about, it was really hard to get him to talk about his personal accolades. He would talk about 
what they did as a team, or he would talk about the home run that Mickey hit in a pivotal situation, and whatnot. But, you know, I, I, I think there's a, there's been a lot of great catchers, but I think when you look at the totality of it with what he was able to do both as an individual and with his teams, I don't, I really just don't think anyone compares. He caught Larson's perfect game. I mean, he, you know, it's like, uh, you know, obviously the World Series, the Larson's perfect game he caught. Uh, what, what was the year he struck at, what, 12 times or something? Uh, that's my, that is my favorite, and I have those stats memorized. Yeah. So that was 1950, and he did not – he won the MVP in 51, 54, and 55, right? He did not win the MVP in 50, and I think that was his best year in baseball. 656 plate appearances, 597 at-bats. He hit 322. 124 RBIs, 28 home runs, and struck out only 12 times. I mean, it's nuts. Guys strike out 12 times in a weekend. weekend, Right. Um, The other one that I love because a lot of people don't even put Grandpa on the Yankees Mount Rushmore. It's usually DiMaggio, Gehrig, uh, Ruth, and Mantle. But there are only two players in Major League Baseball history, the whole history of the game, any team with more than 350 home runs and fewer than 500 strikeouts, and it's Joe DiMaggio and Yogi Berra. Um, He's got so many cool – he caught both ends of day-night doubleheaders 117 times in his career. That's one of my favorites. Like a physical challenge, any catcher to catch both games in a doubleheader today, you won't see it once, much less 117 times. Yeah, it's crazy. It's – and, and that should be mind numbing, especially to our younger listeners who are seeing the the stats today. Um, how do you think you would have handled analytics? So my grandfather was like a human analytics computer. He all of that stuff that they're doing today, he kept in his head. It, it was funny. Uh, my uncle Dale was telling a story. Um, I, I always forget the name of the game that you play in in golf when you're betting money on, on the holes. But you know you you. A certain amount of money for winning a hole, losing a hole. You can push all these things. And Dale was telling stories about how grandpa used to play golf with like these wall street guys. And at the end of the round, they'd be sitting there with a the scorecard. All right, like $5 for this. You lose $10 for this. You're back five here, down five here. And they would be trying to do the math on the card. And grandpa would, would come off the final tee box and just look at the one guy and be like, you owe me 40 bucks and everyone else is square. And they'd be like, what? And he had all the math in his head. He just had this like savant kind of memory. And even as an older man, even after he'd started to get dementia and not be able to remember if he'd had lunch or not on on a certain day, he had that retention from, you know, years and years ago where he could tell you every pitch he threw in like game four of the 1955 World Series, right? He remembered what guys could hit, what guys couldn't hit. He, he knew what to do if his pitchers didn't have their best stuff, what their secondary stuff was. He just, he, and it was all in his head. So, I mean, I don't know exactly what he would think of the analytics and playing to the analytics, but I think he did the analytics himself before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave, you got anything? Yeah. Well, I had heard, I never knew this until I actually listened to an interview. It was, it was your grandfather, Gary Carter, Carlton Fisk, and Johnny Bench. And they wanted to know. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. That's right. That's catcher royalty right there. And they, they held him up in a sense of reverence, which I loved. But 
none of them knew the answer to this. And he revealed it on, on the interview. And it was, where does the nickname Yogi come from? Because that's not his, his God-given name. But, yeah, uh, I hate telling this story because I feel like it's so silly and anticlimactic, but I'll tell it if you want me it's to. It's good. It surprised me. Yeah, I, I like it. So Grandpa was playing uh, American Legion ball as a, as a young man in St. Louis, and one of his Legion buddies had gone to the movies the night before, and I don't know if – Grandpa never knew – never told me the name of the movie, but I can only assume that it was Gunga Din because it took place in India. And he comes back and he said, grandpa used to sit with his arms and legs crossed while he was waiting to bat. And he said, Hey, you look like one of those yogis from that movie. And the yogi thing stuck. It's like the most anticlimactic, terrible nickname story ever. But there you have it. That's what I liked about it on the interview because everybody was waiting and gasping for this, this big story. Every people probably thought it was the bear, Yogi Bear. Well, most, almost everyone thinks it's Yogi Bear, but Yogi Bear was very definitely uh, created and modeled after my grandpa Yogi. He wasn't super happy about it because the bear is kind of a, a bumbling moron, although we all love him. Um, and he didn't really like that portrayal. And at the time, his lawyer looked into uh, actually suing Hanna-Barbera for the, for they believed was not a great portrayal of grandpa with Yogi Bear. And at the time, nicknames were not protected. So there was nothing he could do because Yogi was not his real name. Yeah. Now, over the course of the documentary and the research, were there things that you learned that you didn't even know about your grandfather? Um, in, 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 I'm gonna. There's nothing like no concrete facts really that I hadn't already mm-hmm. known. Um, but just what continues to be astonishing and eye-opening to me is is the reach, like the, the way people talk about him and and the reverence and the love that you hear in their voices when when they talk like the impact that he had on Billy Crystal right or you know you hear Tony Kubek talk about just what a great asset he was to the team that's the kind of stuff that just always really amazes me it's not not the hard facts but the emotional and the impact that he had on other people and I don't want it to get past our audience either. You were a heck of an athlete as well and still are. Could you share a little bit about your your time at North Carolina, two sport division one college athlete? Um, you know, playing one sport is tough enough. So I only played I played one sport division one. I, I played men's club hockey, just to be full fully fair there. So I grew up playing soccer, ice hockey and 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 softball. My grandpa Yogi actually was the one who got me into hockey. He was a really big hockey fan and he was good friends with John McMullen, who was the owner of the Houston Astros, but also brought the New Jersey Devils to New Jersey uh, out of Colorado uh, in around 1982 when I was like four or five years old. Grandpa started taking me to hockey games and I started skating. Um, so he, he got me into hockey. I was the captain of the boys varsity hockey team in high school. And then I ended up playing softball at Carolina, but I really wanted to keep playing hockey. So I played men's club hockey on the side. And, you know, nowadays I'm kind of an old person. I don't really skate much anymore. Um, I'm, I'm more of like a CrossFit and I hike and I play golf poorly, um, you know, ride bikes, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a long and fun road in the, in, in the world of sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do, you do a little bit of everything. That's what makes you so amazing. Um, and as part of what you do also, talk about the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center on the sure. campus of Montclair State University. 
yeah, so it's an easy train ride or Uber out of New York City. So if anyone goes to New York and wants to come visit the museum, it's it's a great stop on your uh, you know New York tourism itinerary. Um, it's a really cool place. It obviously um, we have a lot of cool stuff. We have uh, Grandpa's three MVP plaques. We have all twenty seven Yankees World Series rings, and there's a lot of you know game used gloves and bats and jerseys and you know funky things that you can touch. Um, but the bigger part of it is it's the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center. And my grandfather uh, was always a little bit self-conscious of the fact that he had to quit school in the eighth grade to help his family. He had to work to help his immigrant family put food on the table. They were very poor. And the moment grandpa had enough money to do so, he established a scholarship fund at Columbia University because he wanted kids to have uh, more of a chance at education than he did. And when he opened the museum, that was a really big priority for him. So we have a lot of educational programs that are kind of based on grandpa's values of teamwork and leadership and inclusion, diversity. Um, and they can be taught virtually or in person. Uh, COVID was actually a blessing in disguise for us because it forced us to make sure all of those programs could be taught virtually. So we have a, um, a, a Negro Leagues exhibit that basically teaches the history of racism in the country through the history of racism, racism in sports. We have a Billie Jean King exhibit on right now with a companion um, history of women in sports uh, program. We have a really cool um, spoken word series uh, where the kids write poetry based on the yogiisms. We have um, a STEM education program where they learn science and math through baseball. Um, and it's really cool. The kids really love the programs. And, um, you know, for me, I just love that it keeps grandpa's name relevant for a new generation of kids. So it's a really great and, and special place. And if you have a chance to visit, please come. Yeah, I've been trying, you know, back in 2020, as you know, I, I took early retirement from MLB and the COVID came. And I was literally in that year before COVID, I was like, I'm going to have to reach out to Lindsay when I'm up there for a Met series. I know I've said it, but I was really wanting to to get down to the museum. But I promise you, I will be I will be up there with my wife at some point, and we are going to get a tour of that. Um, is there like an indie ball facility uh, near there? So the it had been it's adjacent to the stadium at Montclair State, and the Montclair State University team plays there. Up until last year, the New Jersey Jackals played there. The Jackals are now moving over to Hinchliffe Stadium, which is the Negro League stadium that was renovated in Patterson, New Jersey. That'll be opening at the end of May. And the university is going to, um, they're, they're doing some renovations on the on the field adjacent to the, the museum. Um, their team will continue to play there. I think um, they're talking about having some other colleges and they'll, you know, once the team, once the field is fully renovated, they'll work on getting some new teams. Okay. In yeah. A few, a few podcasts ago, we had Chris Carmanucci, a scout with the Diamondbacks, who's huge into indie ball. And um, he, he was talking about the growth of indie ball around. And I was, I'm trying to find spots because I'm going to hook up with him somewhere uh, sometime in August, I hope, and, and see some indie ball. And I was wondering if there was anything close by up there in New Jersey. There's a, there's, there, there's a lot of teams and a lot of minor league teams, not, not, not indie. The Somerset Patriots are close there and um, uh, the Yankees double a affiliate, but there's a few can am league teams um, 
in Westchester. There's there's a lot of baseball in this area. Great, great. Yeah. Um, before we get out of here, we did want to talk about, you know, the projects you're working on now. Also, your work at Mustard there and, and talk about what you're doing. So the great Tom House, legendary pitching coach, um, he has been doing motion capture analyses of pitchers since the late 70s. Um, that's where they put the balls all over their body and you get a biomechanics analysis. And there are still big league teams today, believe it or not, who do not do motion capture analyses of pitchers. So Tom had this like 40 plus years of data um, and he didn't want his data to be lost to history. And he partnered with some engineers and some, you know, venture capital entrepreneur type folks. And he created this biomechanics pitching app called Mustard. They digitized all of his data and created an AI engine. So when you take a 2D video of your kid or any pitcher throwing a pitch, it overlays Tom's uh, 40-plus-year data set on top of the 2D images of your kids. How to support the movie and reach out uh, to Lindsay to make sure that we're keeping up with the release date as we get closer, but to our audience, 14,000 subscribers and climbing, uh, make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll keep, uh, keep pumping out the info to you and make sure we continue to provide great substance to our audience here. Whatever your streaming devices, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, make sure you subscribe to us. So you can get the automatic download. And, uh, with that, Joe, I thought that was great. Lindsay's, it's, it's uh, we'll get the information that if there was anything extra she was going to provide for us, we'll make sure our audience gets it, especially about the Tom House information. And we'll uh, we'll make sure that she's she's ready to uh, get supported in all those endeavors. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Once again, we, we want to thank Lindsay Berer uh, um, for being our special guest today. The documentary is It Ain't Over. It's on the, the life of Yogi Berra. Lindsay is the narrator. It it's, should be a great, great, uh, you know, hit among, you know, fans, baseball fans everywhere. Highly recommended. And um, with that, uh, I'm Joe Forsaro, Man on Second, uh, Real Voices of the Game Productions. And we are out of there, out of here for today. Look at me.